Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. In case we haven't met before, my name is Josh. I'm so glad that you can be here with us today, enjoying this space together. And yeah, I'm one of the pastors here at Lesmerty Baptist Church. Get the great pleasure of being part of this awesome community. And we are currently looking at a series called This Is The Way. And yes, it is a reference to The Mandalorian. Um, so if you haven't seen The Mandalorian before, which I've seen like literally one episode of, but uh, it's about Baby Yoda, and that's all I care about in the memes, really. Um, but it's just a reference point to help us remember today, you know, this is the way. The Mandalorians say this is the way. It's what guides them and everything. And as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, we have a way that we are as well. And last week we looked at this idea that um, we all have a way we are in different spaces, uh, at school, in our uh, universities, in our workplaces, in our families. There's always a culture. There's always something there. There's a way that we live, the way that we are. And one of the phrases that we use when we're in different places is, that's the way we do it here, right? And it's sort of how we become assimilated to that particular culture. Well, today we're going to have a look at another part of what it means to follow Jesus. And this one's probably one of the toughest because it talks about what it costs us if we do want to follow Jesus. But I think we'll find that it's well worth doing. Let me pray for us and we'll get into it. Father God, please allow the things you want us to pay attention to to be brought to front of mind. Please help us this morning to just be able to um, interact with you and allow what you're sharing with us to shape and transform our lives. In your name, for your glory. Amen. So last week we talked about the idea that it can be easy to be a Christian without following the way of Jesus. And the slide up on the screen um, sort of highlights the, the reason we ended up at this place here is because we sort of reduced following God down to this idea that if I believe the right things about God, then I'm okay with God. So what's happened over time, unfortunately, is that this amazing message that Jesus is uh, alive, transforming lives, sort of got reduced over time to this thing that if I can just get my head to believe the right thing, then I'm okay with God. But when we actually read the story of Jesus, he doesn't go around telling people to believe, just believe the right thing. He actually invites us to follow him and to do what he did. So we, started, we finished off by looking at the idea that, look, how we come to be a Christian is that we believe in Jesus. There's a couple of points in the Gospels where Jesus asks people, who do you say I am? And they say, well, you are the one who's in charge of everything. And there's a time for those of us that follow Jesus. There's a time in our lives where we were asked that question by Jesus. Well, what do you, who do you say that I am? And we answered, you're in charge of everything. But that's how we became a Christian. But the way that we continue in being a Christian is by the way that we follow the way of Jesus. So today and next week, we're going to look at how we go about that. But before we do continue on with this, I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to show you a couple of pictures as well. Um, who, who's the hardest person to please? Just think, think, think in your, or to say no to, sorry. Hardest person to say no to. So just think for a second. If they're next to you, don't nudge them. Um, <laughs> don't want to start any disputes. Um, who's the hardest person to say no to? Just have a think about that for a second. Who's the hardest? Don't, don't need to share. Just keep that between you and your beautiful little brain. Here, here's a couple of people that I find it hard to say no to. Um, I've got my kids. I've got um, my wife. Um, they're really hard to say no to. When they come up and they want something from me, it takes everything within me 
sometimes to have to say no because at times there's things that just aren't beneficial for them. There's times at night time. The other evening I was playing Minecraft because I'm trying to get into it with my son and trying to figure out how it all works and everything. So I was playing to try and learn it a little bit more and my son came out of the room and he came up on the couch and this is 10 o'clock at night and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I think you know what I'm doing. Um, And he's like, can I play with you? Of course I wanted to say yes, but I knew that if I did say yes, what would I deal with tomorrow? A lovely man who would listen to everything I say. They're very hard to say no to um, at times, especially when they want good things, especially when they want things, you know, it's hard to say no, no to them. But if we're actually honest and we think about it, okay, well, is it my family, is it my parents, is it strangers? Because sometimes, you know, strangers ask us a question, some of us are wired to say yes. Um, maybe it's the heroes in our lives, if they came up to us. It's hard to think of who, who's the hardest person to say no to. But if we think about logically and in reality, the hardest person to say no to is you. It's yourself, right? No matter what situation you find yourself in life, no matter what happens, it's always easy to look at your circumstances and where you ended up and say, well, it's not my fault, is it? If everyone understood where I was coming from, if everyone just saw it from my perspective, it would be fine. We're happy when someone else messes up to look and point the finger and say, aha, see? But when we mess up, oh, that's a different story. So when it comes to saying no to ourselves, to things that sometimes are not good for us, it's really hard because we talk ourselves into it and we get a little bit of a script going. It's hard to say no to ourselves. And unfortunately... Um, when we always say yes to ourselves, it can come at the cost of either other people, and sometimes it can come at the cost of even our own mental health and our own health and well-being. And when this happens, I think Jesus has something to say into this space, because saying yes to ourselves all the time and putting ourselves at the center of the picture is not actually how we were designed to be, and it's not the way that Jesus showed us how we can live. And he actually told us to do something quite radical, that if you believe the Bible to be true, is incredibly challenging. And if you don't, you know, don't know where you fit with God, or you're not sure whether the Bible is true or not, or whatever, just great that you're here in the room with us. I think what we're going to look at today is helpful, because it's how we want everyone to be towards us, but it's not always how we want to be ourselves. And if you're someone who's followed Jesus for a little while, then it's a chance to just assess Am I still committed to following the ways of Jesus or have I started to drift into consumer Christianity? So let's have a look at a little interaction Jesus had. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus is walking around with his disciples as a person. Uh, he spoke about what God was like. He showed people who God was, um, what God was like and his heart towards humanity. Um, on top of all this, he had some really tough teaching that he told people. Jesus came around and said, hey, you know those people who don't like you, those enemies of yours? Your response to them is to love them. Now, everything within us goes, "Mm, do I have to? Jesus came around and said, hey, I'm just trying to tell you what heart's God is towards people. And when people don't like you, your, your thing is actually pray for them, to love them back. He came and said, pray for those who actively are against you. And one of the toughest teachings I think that he said is, you need to recognize that when life is hard, that's actually a blessing because it draws you closer to the one who made you. But that's not what I want. I want life to be easy. And I thought if I ticked the Jesus box, everything would be swell and it would be smooth sailing. And Jesus came along and said, just as a warning, if you're going to follow me, when life gets hard, it's going to draw you closer to me, but just beware that's something that's happening. So Jesus displayed what life with God was like. He taught some tough things. He said some tough things. But he did help us out because he showed us not just what we should know, but he showed us how we should be. 
And a few of the things, if you track Jesus through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he actually helps us out by showing us the fact that he spent time with God. That's a rhythm that he had. He cared for other people. Jesus actually lived at a pace of life that was manageable. If you think about the pressure that was on Jesus, if you're coming from that he came to die so that everyone could be reconciled to him, he did that over three years. So he had 30 years of nothing, right? 30 years of just being a person, learning the trade, becoming a rabbi, doing all the, the, the fun stuff, right? Having, having a good time. And then in three years, he managed to do something that shifted the course of history forever. But he did it at a pace that didn't burn him out. If you think about your life, especially for those of you who are in retirement or, um, or heading towards retirement, if you were to take your whole working career and some, put it into three years, could you accomplish the total sum of everything that you've accomplished? Jesus was able to, in three years, reconcile humanity to God, and he did it without breakneck speed of exhausting himself and exhausting his disciples. And we have 50 years of work, and we exhaust ourselves, exhaust our families, exhaust everybody around us, and we're not trying to save the planet. We're just trying to get the accounting done or just trying to raise kids or whatever. But Jesus did that at the pace that was manageable. He spent time around good friends with good food. Amen, hey? Jesus loved to eat. And he loved to invite people to come and eat with him. And Jesus was audacious enough that if he didn't have any food to share himself, he went and he either asked other people to produce food or he went, I'll come to your house, which sounds amazing. So you cook, <laughs> you prepare it. Uh, wouldn't you just love to be gifted in that area? Let me come to your house and eat your food and drink your wine and have a lot of fun together. And the good thing that Jesus showed us is that he was intent, intensely um, present with the people that he was with. He wasn't distracted. There was times in Jesus' life, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he had a place he was going. It says on the way he was heading over to this particular thing. But then he gets stopped. And Jesus doesn't shoo the person away and say, get out of here, I'm on a mission to go over here. I mean, at one point there, Jesus' friend dies, right? His name's Lazarus. And instead of rushing to his side, he took three days to get there because he was doing other stuff. It's incredible, Right? He went at a pace of life that was manageable. He was actively present with the people he was meant to be present with. He wasn't trying to stress himself out. So I recommend you to go look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and look at what Jesus actually did, how he chose to live. Because Jesus didn't just teach the way for how we're meant to live. He modeled it. He showed us this is how you're meant to live. So here's an interaction that Matthew records, uh, reveals a catalyst in how Jesus decided to live his life. So if you're unfamiliar, Matthew was a tax collector. He decided to follow Jesus. Tax collectors at that time were not very liked. Now, our tax collectors are also not liked. Everyone's done the tax, right? You've all gone online, my gov, done it all out. Yep, good. Um, if not, friendly warning, you should do that. Um, or reminder. Now, we look at the tax person, we're like, oh, this is inconvenient. But look at what it gives us, right? We go, look at the roads, look at this, look at that. Back in those days, the tax collectors um, were not viewed uh, as annoyances that needed to be managed. They were viewed as hostile people who acted against their own people. So to set the context, the people of God are trapped in their land, ruled over by Roman people. And these tax collectors were fellow Jewish people and countrymen who were hired by the Romans to collect the taxes. Now they went and they got the taxes, which were very harsh, and then they took a little bit off the top for themselves. And so you can imagine that they were seen as traitors, as enemies, as people who should not have been doing what they were doing. That was a tax collector. That was Matthew. 
And Jesus went to Matthew, a man who was despised by the people around him, and said, come follow me. He went, he followed Jesus, he saw miracles, he was a part of the whole movement. He saw Jesus die, come back to life. His life changed forever, and he thought to himself, I have to write this down. So thank goodness he wrote it down for us all. So in this document, uh, Matthew chooses to record this interaction between Jesus and the closest followers. It'll be on the screen um, there. It says, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. It's a bit of a bummer, isn't it? So just before this had happened in the story, Matthew records Jesus walking with his disciples, and Jesus asked them the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the one who is meant to come from God to free us people from the oppression that we're facing. And Jesus is like, that is exactly who I am. He didn't do it the way they thought. They were thinking national freedom. He was thinking international freedom. But anyway, so Jesus is there. He's just been declared you're the Messiah. And everyone, I imagine, is feeling on a pretty high at this point because the people following Jesus are like, we're with the right man. We're on the winning team. Everything's going well. And then Jesus stops him and says, I'm actually going to go suffer, die, and rise again. Talk about letting the, the air out of the tires, right? So um, as he tells this message, um, Peter, the one who just before said, hang on, you're the Messiah, he decides to take Jesus aside because he's thinking to himself, you know, Jesus needs a bit of a pep talk here. So Peter took him aside and he rebuked him. He spoke against Jesus. He said, never. This shall never happen to you. Like, come on, man. Translation. Snap out of it. You're the promised one. You're God's unstoppable agent. We're on the winning team. Everything is going so well. This will not happen to you. They can't get to you. They can't be near you. Every, the crowd is on your side. The people are with you. You've done so many great things. This is never going to happen to you. And so Jesus turned to Peter and said, You're right. I am unstoppable. We are the winning team. Thanks, buddy. Um, no, that's not what happened. That's what Jesus could have said. <laughs> Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I mean, ouch, imagine being Peter in that moment. Like, God, just, God, Jesus, Son of God, just looked him dead in the eye and said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not care about the things which we have been on about. You're concerned with yourself. A few verses ago, Jesus is declaring this whole operation going forward is going to be built on you, Peter, and now he's going, get behind me. Like, get out of the way. And then he drops to the point that we need to pay attention to. And Jesus looks around at his disciples and he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up the cross. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus uses a powerful illustration to make a very big point that we are going to live this life if we choose to follow him in a way that we have to say no to ourselves. We're going to have to deny ourselves. We're going to have to say no to me. You're going to have to say no to you. And when the audience are listening to this and he's saying, take up your cross, they had the context of knowing what crucifixion was and what that meant, but they had no idea that's what Jesus was going to go through. 
This teaching about saying no to yourself by taking up this Roman tool of execution was going to become very real, very visceral, very bloody, very gory in their face. It's going to be a very real event that Jesus himself experienced. And he's telling them, you want to follow me? You're going to have to say no to you. He was literally going to do that, to take up the cross. And in the cross, you have a really beautiful moment. The cross does a lot of things, but one thing which it does is that in the cross, you have a moment where Jesus is not making it about himself, but making it about the restoration of humanity. Jesus, actually in the cross, had a moment where he had to say no to what he wanted so that he could say yes to what God was concerned about. Before going to the cross, Jesus pleads with God, saying, if there's any other way, if there's any other way we can do this, please take it away. And God says, this is the only way. So why would he do this? Why would he, why would he want this teaching to be in our lives? Why would he want an example for us that we need to deny ourselves? Well, he says in the next verse, What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You see, Jesus knew there was a cost to humanity becoming right with God again. Jesus knew that there was this brokenness that could not be overcome any other way that needed to be restored. And he was aware of the cost of this. And we don't always understand why. Like, why did it cost that? Why did God have to use Jesus' death as a way of reconciling humanity to himself? We don't fully know the answer to that. But what we do know is that in his death and his resurrection, God actually demonstrates this verse for you and for me. If you break it down, it says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? It's almost like God saying, What good would it be for God to remain clean, separate, holy, and apart from humanity and lose that connection with humanity and lose us forever? That would be no good. What could God give in exchange for our soul? Well, he knew that he had to give up his own life. And in doing that, he gave us a way to follow and a way to move forward. So Jesus invites you and me to follow his example 2,000 years later and to say no to ourselves for the sake of other people, to say no to what we always want for the benefit of those around us. It's in saying no to me and my appetite that we get to find true life as Jesus' examples. And one day he will return. And this is what I love, um, my favorite part of this whole passage is this ender here. This is what he says, um, the Son of Man is going to come back. And when he does, he's going to re reward each person according to what they have done. Not according to what they have known, but what they have done, what they have actually acted in response to this following of Jesus. It's what we do when we put our faith into action that actually counts. That's what's going to be judged and rewarded. Meaning that if we believe the right thing to be true, but we never put it into practice, then it doesn't mean anything. So today it can be easy to say, of course we should say no to ourselves. I mean, we want other people to be that way towards us, right? Like we love the selfless people around us, the enablers, the people who come alongside us, who, who you've got a plan and they've got a plan and you throw your plan on the table, they throw their plan on the table, they go, you know what, my plan doesn't matter, let's make your plan happen. We love those people around us. We love it when people say, are happy to say no to their agenda and lift up other people's agenda because when they do that towards us, it feels good. Right? But if we truly want to align with God's heart for humanity, we need to be the ones who are able to say no to ourselves. So it's easy to say, of course, we should say no to ourselves and no to those appetites. But do we actually do it? 
do we actually do it? Because when we do, when we're able to say no to ourselves and the appetites that control us, when we're able to say no to ourselves and the things that want to control who we are and how we live, we actually find the life that Jesus had invited us into all those years ago. He invites us into genuine relationship with the people around us. He invites us in a chance to use what we have for the good and the benefit of other people. He gives us an opportunity to live a life that's filled with lifting other people up because that's what God did for you and me. He's invited us to participate in that as well and be those people in our world, to be part of the kingdom that comes on this earth. But when we focus on ourselves, when we focus on our appetites, then these things evaporate. When we focus on ourselves, the genuine relationships God called us into become about ourselves. And when people annoy us or break relationship with us, we disregard them. When God said, you have an opportunity to use what you have for the good of other people, when we focus on ourselves and our appetites, we just assume that it's all for us and we consume everything. And sometimes that's at the cost of other people. And our quality of life goes down as we look out only for ourselves. So you can say, Yes, Jesus. You can say, I want to follow Jesus and that you believe everything. That's great and good. But when it comes back to it, when it comes back to him returning and talking to you and to me, his question isn't going to be, did you believe the right thing? And you go, I believed I should say no to myself. He's going to look and say, and did you do it? And that's the test. That's the moment. Did you put it into action? So let's get really, really practical. And let's have a look at five ways or five things that can see if we're actually following Jesus in this idea of saying no to yourself. Here's the first one. Being able to say no to yourself and being able to follow Jesus and his example means that you need to actually care about, uh, care more about the relationship than being right. So for some of us in our lives, when we care about being right more than the relationship, we break down the genuine relationships God's put into our lives because we just want to be on the right side of the story. Jesus said no to himself and allowed himself to stand in for us even when we were wrong. I think sometimes we forget this, especially if you follow Jesus for a while, and it slips my mind as well. People do stuff, and I look at them and I go, come on, you should know better. And sometimes people do the wrong thing, and I I just think, well, what's the right answer here? And in those moments when I go, I just want to be right, and I'm putting that at the cost of the relationship... I'm actually going against what Jesus exampled when he lived on this planet 2,000 years ago. He said no to himself. He said no to having to just be right for the sake of relationship. It doesn't mean that he went into the wrong. It just meant that while he was fully correct, he also understood that he needed to bring us along on the journey. See, Jesus was right. He had the opportunity, if he wanted to, to reject us as being wrong people if, if he wanted to. He could have cast us out of relationship with him if that's what Jesus wanted. But instead, Jesus invited us into relationship. If you're good on a right to wrong scale, God was right. Humanity should not have acted the way humanity acted. But he cared more about the relationship than being right. So he came down and put us first. Yet for some reason in our lives, when people wrong us or do the wrong thing towards us, or we think that we're right, we think that we can take that as the important thing and put the other person down. That's not what Jesus did on, for our behalf. If that's how Jesus acted towards us, then we wouldn't have a relationship with Jesus. Some of us have had the chance 
to put the relationship first, but for some reason we just couldn't get over the point of view of another person. We couldn't put, get over um, the way that they acted or their orientation or their feelings. or We couldn't get over something about the other person and we went to ourselves, I'm going to hold on to being right over caring about you as a person. And that's just not what Jesus talks about when he says, take up your cross and follow me. We need to care more about the relationship than being right. And when we slip into this territory, we're not acting aligned to God. The second thing, we fail to follow Jesus when, when there is a broken relationship. So when someone breaks relationship with you or something happens, um, we don't actually move in their direction properly. So a few, week, a few weeks or months, time Time is one. Uh, Ruth talked a little bit ago about this idea of restoring and rebuilding relationships. And what can happen is in our lives when people break relationship or the relationship breaks down for whatever reason, we can go, oh, well, I'm on the right-hand side. I'm going to push, you know, I'm on the right side. I'm going to push them away or whatever. But that's not what Jesus wants us to do. What Ruth talked about is that when relationships break and when we go to rebuild them, we need to make sure that we avoid the four C's to coerce, Control, convict, condemn. What's the other one? That no, wasn't condemn, but convince. Thank you. <laughs> when the relationship breaks down, we need to move in their direction. When a relationship breaks down, we need to actually own our piece of it. It's so easy, especially if you get a bit of a righteous attitude towards other people to go, well, they wronged me. Well, no, you have a piece in every conflict that happens. No conflict is 100% their fault and no percent your fault. It can feel that way, but that's never true. Um, and then the big one, which Jesus asked us to do, is have you initiated reconciliation, regardless of who's at fault? Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to want to be reconciled, but have you initiated that reconciliation? We did a great, series, a great, uh, great job on, on this topic um, and I think that this is a really important area. In fact, another part of the, the Bible um, records for us, or another part of the document, records uh, Jesus is uh, telling his disciples a story. And this, to me, is a really confronting story. He tells a story about a man who's gone to sacrifice his stuff to God, right? So a Jewish person's gone and said, I've got to go sacrifice to God. It's part of what we do to show God, you're amazing, and I'm going to show that by by giving you these things and sacrificing for you. Uh, and then he remembers, as this person's in line to go and give his sacrifice, he remembers to himself, that's right, I'm out of relationship with this person. So the man drops his stuff there, runs over, reconciles with that person, and then comes back so that he can give his offering to God. The point of that is that if you are out of relationship with others, and you've not done all that you can do to make it right, because Trust me, you can do all that you can do. That does not mean that on this side of eternity that relationship will be reconciled. But have you done all that you can do? The point is, if you are out of relationship with other people and you've not done all you can do to make it right, then unfortunately God's not going to accept what you bring to him. That tithe, that prayer, that Bible reading, great. Have you done all you can do to reconcile that person? I don't know how he's going to look at that stuff, to be honest. Jesus talks about that. Very important area. All right, point three. Um... When we think that everything that we earn is for our consumption, then we don't follow Jesus in denying ourselves and taking up the cross. Yes, you worked hard. Yes, the money's in your account. I get that. You invested it well. You got the great job. You pushed it. I get it. You earned it. That's awesome. But everything that you earn is not just for you. That's not how Jesus designed us to live. Just because you earned it doesn't mean it's just for your consumption. And when we live that way, then we end up becoming very guarded with what we have. 
Generosity is actually something which God invites us into with our finances, our time, as an opportunity to mirror his heart for humanity by leveraging what we have been given, by leveraging our finances so that other people can have a good life here on earth as well. Now, we're going to look at this in November, so I won't say anything else about it for now. And then finally, the last two here. Um, did we spend our time in the right places? And did you look at the appetites that consume you? So very quickly, spend time in the right places. places. Um, parents, did you escape your family with work or hobbies? Because they're really hard sometimes. I've got four kids, I get it. It's so much easier to sort of just be like, I love parenting, but also I like to do other stuff. You know what I mean? Some of you, unfortunately, you've sort of got to your retirement age and you're sort of realising, ah, I shouldn't have spent so much time at work because you can't get those younger years back. And some of you haven't entered that space yet. But when you parent, have you spent your time in the right places? Students, did you guys remain connected to what you truly value or did you get swept up with what was happening? I get it. It's easy to go to uni. It's easy to get swept up in the culture. It's easy to get to your first workplace and go, I'm just going to live the way the people around me live. And Jesus is looking and saying, you can live differently. If you're a student or if you're in your first workplace or an apprentice, you can live differently where you are. You don't have to just say yes to everything. You can actually say no to yourself and to the things that drive you, which brings us into the appetites. Did you have a look at the appetites that consume you? Maybe you have a desire for more. Maybe you need to be right. You need to be successful. You need to accomplish things. You need to have progress. A big one for today is maybe you just need other people to know what you're up to. Um, social media is terrible for this. Um, have a look at this food I, I ate. Have a look at my friends that I'm with. Um, everyone look at what I'm getting up to. And we feed the appetites within us that don't lead us towards God but lead us away from Him. What ends up happening over time is we become resentful <laughs> towards those things. And they take our focus, our time, our money, our attention away from what truly brings us genuine relationship and genuine life with other people. Did you look at your appetites and those things that consume you and say, these are not going to define me? You're going to struggle with them. We all struggle with them. But I'm not going to let them distract me as to why God put me on this planet. So as we come towards the end, why did God put us on this planet? Why, why, why did God put you here? I believe the reason God put you here is to participate in God's family. The reason Jesus gave us the way that we should live is because he wants to show you what it's like to be a part of his family. The reason that we have the stories that we do, the reason that you exist in this point in time is not an accident. It's so that you can participate in God's family here and now. I don't believe God put you here on this earth to just believe the right thing. God didn't say, I'm going to put these people down here, and if they think the right way, I'm going to call it a day. Jesus is very clear that believing is not enough. You're part of God's family, but a person who's a part of a family doesn't sit in their chair and just read and think to themselves. They, they love, they participate, they cook, they clean. They're part of the life of the family. One of the reasons I know that um, believing is not enough, unfortunately. It's enough to put you in a relationship with God, but it's not enough to fully appreciate and live out the life he's called us to live. Um, it's because there's this interaction that Jesus has where um, the demons cry out and say, we know who you are, to Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Well, he says, shush, firstly, right? But 
the demons, the, 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 the people who stood in opposition to God, they were well aware of who Jesus was. If you want to talk about believing the right things about Jesus, they believed the right things about Jesus before Jesus did anything. They just stood in the opposition, in the opposite way that God wanted them to live. So when God puts you to be a part of this family, it means following the example of Jesus. It means living out fully what it means, fully um, live out your life here on earth. And what, what it means is, is this saying that uh, hopefully is helpful for you. We've got to try and put handles on things, otherwise you'll forget about it and you'll be like, Josh, talk for a while. And then we went and had tea and coffee. Um, so to try and give you a little bit of a handle that you can take with you out of this space is that when we look at the story of Jesus on the, Jesus on the cross and talking about denying himself, here's, here's a little saying that you can remember, that you can take with you um, that will help just sort of start to change some things, hopefully. When Jesus took up the cross and laid down his life, he did so so the whole world could benefit. So the question for you and for me, if we're going to follow him, if you don't want to follow him, you don't have to do it. But if you want to follow him, you have to do it. The question we need to ask ourselves is, will, we say, will you say no to you for the benefit of the you beside you? Now, take a second because there's lots of yous in there. But will you say no to you for the benefit of the you beside you? Are you going to live your life in such a way that sometimes you have to say no to your plans, your ideas, your ambitions, so that you can fulfill what God has put you on this earth to do, to be part of his family, to participate in his family? Sometimes it means saying no to what you want to do now so that you can do it later. Sometimes it means saying no because that's just not what you're meant to be doing. But are you willing to take up your cross to say no to yourself so that other people can benefit? Because that's what Jesus invites us into. Will you say no to you for the benefit of the you beside you? Will you follow the way of Jesus? Because the alternatives are be consumed by your appetites and lose what truly matters in this world. The other alternative is that you be content with just being a Christian who wants to believe the right thing but doesn't want to actually put it into action. So put it into action today. Say no to you for the benefit of the you beside you. So, Last week, we looked at the idea that it's what belie- when we believe, that's what makes us a Christian, but we actually have to order our lives around Jesus to follow him. Today, we looked at this, at the price of ordering our lives around the way of Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, unfortunately, it's not all up to the right wealth, health, yay! It actually means saying no to ourselves and putting other people before us. And next week, we're going to conclu- conclude by seeing the posture that we need to have if we do want to reorder our lives around Jesus. So I don't want you to miss that. We'll be back here next week as we conclude. But I just want to say one last thing. Go off my notes for one second. If you follow Jesus, what an amazing journey we've been invited into, right? Right? Isn't it great to live for other people? Isn't it great to say no to ourselves? Isn't it great to be part of a reconciled relationship? Isn't it great to love others and to not expect stuff in return? Like, it sounds countercultural, counterproductive, counter everything on paper, but when we experience it, right? Like, when you get to help someone out, when you get to come alongside them, when you get to see people change, it's just amazing. It's just like your, your, your heart gets filled up and you feel that everything within you just sort of lifts. If you don't follow Jesus, or if you're still checking out whether you want to follow Him, the outcome is amazing, but it does not mean that the road is always easy. It means that we have to do things at times which look silly to the outside world. It means that if you want to follow Jesus, sometimes you have to do things that say no to your own ambitions and desires and what you want to see happen. But if you want to consider following him, 
I can't think of a better use of your time or a better use of your life. And you can actually participate in following Jesus now, today, by just choosing to say no to yourself so that other people can benefit. Don't have to see him as Lord, as King. You don't have to see the Bible as absolutely true. You can just start by just taking a baby step and going, I'm going to see what it's like to go, before I put me first, how can I put you first? Just an invitation to a baby step there if you want to look at what it's like to follow Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are real, that you love us, and that when we live our lives according to what you've called us to live, there's just alignment. There's peace. It doesn't mean life is always peaceful, but there is a deep peace and joy that just can't be taken away. So help us put this into practice this week. Help all of us, when we have an opportunity to say yes to ourselves at the cost of someone else, help us say no. Say no to us so that we can follow you in saying yes to other people. In your name and for your glory. Amen.